0: Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. Today, my guest is Senior Portfolio Manager and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Well, Chris, uh, the S and P crossed three thousand for the first time recently. Um, you know, as we're as we're looking out at the at the market today, you know, what are some upside and downside scenarios from here?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, it it's always good to set all time highs, um, and people like to say the trend is your friend. It's just a question of. You know what got us here, and and will it continue? And then, kind of, what's the rate of change on a go forward basis? And there's no question, as we've talked about in the past, that liquidity has a huge impact on price moves. And we saw significant liquidity come into the marketplace in the fourth quarter of last year to stabilize risk assets, and it's continued through uh, 2019 with fits and starts. So that's allowing us to set all time highs. There's still a theme out there that we're going to we're, we're near the worst of uh, what I'd call a global manufacturing slowdown. Liquidity's picking up, uh, rates have come in through inverted yield curves, and so I'll call it a back half recovery. Although I think the market is anticipating what would have been the back half of '19 recovery getting pushed out a quarter or two, so it's pricing in that recovery. So we're hitting all time highs. You know I think upside from here, just looking at valuation. Is you'll compound at a low to mid single-digit rate, including your dividend. And if for some reason we continue to have a deterioration in global activity or that liquidity that we anticipate coming uh, begins to slow or becomes more muted and gets stuck in uh, the banking system and isn't able to make it into risk assets, you know you could easily see a, a, a correction. Um, you know, worst case, if we do have a recession, uh, as much as fifteen or twenty percent. Otherwise, you know we're set up here for probably a little five, ten percent pullback potentially.
0: Yeah. and then you know if if the Q4 liquidity that was injected to help stabilize, you know if that is still impacting, you know how, how much more runway do you think um, you know something that was that was utilized seven months ago is is uh, you know still has on the market?
1: Uh, we need more liquidity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the liquidity that's been injected in the first part of 2019 has really played itself out. Um, and then it'll become a question of, well, what is that liquidity? Where does it come from? Does it come from private sector? Does it come from central bank QE? Uh, does it come from credit finance? It, it's really going to depend on the nature of it as to what the impact will be.
0: Sure. So if I'm, if I'm reading you correctly, you know, it, it, if I'm looking at, uh, you know, upside, downside scenarios from here, um, you know, it, it seems like, a, you know, a, a positive trend is, is perhaps more likely than, you um, you know, any type of substantial pullback? And if we do see a pullback, you still feel positive that there's enough tools here where we could recover and, and, and move on? Uh, I, I'll say it, we need a pullback of some
1: sort, just short-term overbought conditions. Um, and then it's going to depend on what we see as much from the uh, outside of the U.S. as to what the nature of that recovery is going to be. Because from a pure economic standpoint, the services are fine. The weakness we've seen in housing is starting to stabilize and get less worse. The weakness in autos is still in an accelerated downturn globally. Um, And we, you know, the big, uh, what I'd call, driver of a lot of this is the weakness in China as they kind of rebalance their economy. So a lot of the economic recovery from an industrial production standpoint is going to be dictated by Chinese policy, not necessarily ours. And although we'd like to talk a lot about it being tied to trade wars, that's it's just simply not the case. I mean, right, it's just right. an internal rebalancing.
0: Yeah, right. And if you're interested in that, uh, what was that? Two, two podcasts. I think have, so. Is, uh, yeah, we, we, we fleshed that out pretty thoroughly. So jump back to podcasts. Um, so you mentioned uh, rates uh, in your in one of your earlier comments today. Um, it, it very much it, uh, appears that though the market is pricing in a rate cut. Um, so I'll just ask you directly. You know, do you do you expect to see a rate cut here?
1: I do. Um, you know, and I think even earlier conversation we've talked about, I wouldn't have been surprised to see a rate cut uh, at their prior meeting, they've clearly had a lot of opportunity to walk back uh, the market anticipating a cut in the July meeting. Um, You know, there's nothing new in the data today that would indicate they should uh, do it, uh, or the probability would be higher or lower. The data's been fairly consistent for the last several months. Uh, But when Powell didn't walk back the market pricing in a July cut, we're going to get a July cut. Um, and the market can debate whether that's a 25 b- basis point cut or a 50 basis point cut. It doesn't matter. The point is we're starting to cut, uh, and it, it'll just be a matter of why we're cutting and, and what's the next step from here.
0: Right. And, and you know, if, if um, everything we're coming across, it seems as though, you know, the, the U.S. economy in, in general is, is, has been strong, and it is strong. Uh, you know, why, why would we need these continued yeah. rate cuts? Yeah, right? <laughs> that,
1: that, that's the real question. Um, you know, if you look at the economic data, there's absolutely no reason to cut rates. Um, You can make the argument they went a little too far too fast and, you know, cracked the housing market in January of 18, and then cracked autos. No question about that. Um, But, you know, given the path we've been on and how long we stood at zero rates and the amount of not just private sector refi, but corporate refi, occurred at the ultimate lows in interest rates, a 25 basis point rate cut or a 50 basis point rate cut is not going to make a material difference in economic activity in the United States. So, you know, we just need to acknowledge up front, that's not what this is about. Um, You know, the the U.S. is in a position of having the global reserve currency. Uh, That's not just for trade, that's for global debt as well. And while, you know, the U.S., Uh, private sector and corporate sector refied at the low, so did the rest of the world. And so these rate cuts are as much about dealing with the tightness and the dollar liquidity that we've talked about outside of our borders as much as it is inside our borders. And let's not forget that ultimately this is also about lightening up the financing costs for the U.S. federal government. They're the balance sheet that's leveraging up you have to have a balance sheet leveraging up in a fractional banking system, whether that's the regulated or unregulated shadow banking system. It's all fractional. And if somebody isn't leveraging up, you can't have positive GDP growth. And that's the government. And so my guess is we need to lower their financing cost as well.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I was just as, as you're as you're answering the question there, I was you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, if, if the 25 or 50 basis points um, is, is really going to provide, you know, a fairly limited material difference, you know, then why? Why wouldn't we just hold in july why don't we just hold through again and and i think you've answered that with describing the dollar liquidity um and then you know the the us's ability to uh to lower their financing costs
1: yep absolutely
0: all right so you know as as, you know somewhat uh you know similar topic here so you know a lot of equity strategists that we've come across are describing um you know the the anticipated rate cut as um you know more of a a preemptive or just in case or, or what we could describe as an insurance cut uh, and that the equity market today uh, appears to be similar to what we saw in '95 or '1998. You know, what do you what are your thoughts on there? You you were you were around back then. What's <laughs> yeah. what, what was that, what's that? Fortunately, like? I was, what was around what back does then. What's that look like to you? Yeah,
1: you know, I I I understand why they're trying to describe it this way. In my own opinion, it's a very oversimplification of the setup we're in. Uh, number one, just. While we had a fairly aggressive rate cycle coming into 95, when you look at the rate cuts, they were going to have a more material impact than what they could have today. And that's not just because there was more room to cut rates than there is today, but it was because of the path of rates, right? We were still in this long downward path in, in interest rates. So when you cut rates, there was a whole nother level of, of credit available to refinance. And so it, it did boost consumption. We we're also in a very different position demographically. We were still kind of in the sweet spot of the baby boomers in the consumptive phase and driving economic growth, and we're well past that. Um, and, at, and in addition to that, we were just at very different aggregate debt levels. So the growth setup, the stimulative impact, uh, where valuations were, We're nowhere near where we were in 95. And if somebody's telling you, go long equities, because just like in 95, we'll have an insurance cut and we'll be off to the races. That is really naive and it's too simple. Now, could this be an insurance cut? Meaning, yeah, we're gonna make a cut or two, but we're not gonna do much more than that. That's possible, but that's something we need to watch. Uh, to see, you know, is there more to this or, or not? What, it, what really is going to be the next steps? Right.
0: And, and so, you know, you're thinking about that. You know, what, what would be some indicators that you would look out to identify um, to see that the market was pricing in more than just an insurance cut? Or, right. you know, is it anticipating something, you know, something a little bit darker, right? Is there a Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I would watch two things. So ultimately, it's not different this time, and yield curves matter. Uh, yield curves will drive credit creation and we're in this perverse situation where ultimately if you cut rates too far banks are going to pull back they're actually going to provide less liquidity so we're getting into that catch-22 where there's just not a lot of monetary policy oomph left in the tools we're going to use um so watch two curves uh One is, if I was watching the euro-dollar curve and it really started to re-steepen, I could get really bullish. Because what that would tell me is, look, not just within the U.S., but more importantly, globally, this tightening that we've seen in dollar liquidity is loosening, and we're going to have a re-acceleration in economic activity outside of the U.S., I don't think a one or two base you know one or two rate cuts is going to have that impact. I think there's much more significant liquidity issues outside of the US and structural issues and I don't think rate cuts will fix that. And you know perversely if we really did go to zero into negative I think it would actually get worse and not better. But for the shorter term watch the US curve. If we make, you know, 2 25 basis point cuts in the in the back half of this year or a 50 basis point cut If what we see is the 10-year kind of stay where it is at this, you know, 2 to 215 and the two-year kind of stay where it is at kind of 180, 185, and we can get below that and we keep a normalized steepness in the curve, that would tell me that the market's saying, you know what, that's enough. We just needed to loosen up liquidity. We need to get a little bit more steepness in the curve and credit flows will begin to occur again and we're probably, you know, one or two and done. It, I would describe that as an insurance cut, um, and it means we're probably not really going to decelerate all the way into a recession, but I would not then follow through and say you should expect the returns we saw in the back half of the 90s by any stretch.
0: Right. So you know, I think that's, great, right? that's a great indicator, right, if we... we make these these adjustments to rates and you finally start seeing a normalized curve which we haven't seen for,
1: for some yeah time. and um, but along those lines too like the steepness between the twos and tens have been relatively constant mm-hmm. it does look like just the front end is too high right right right
0: exactly so okay so uh you know transitioning a little bit you know one of the topics that we we touch on on this uh, on the podcast fairly regularly is liquidity, um, and the impact, particularly the impact of late on risk assets inside the equity market. You know what um, you know. What are you seeing t- right now today in terms of short term trends with respect to yeah, liquidity? Yeah,
1: so there's no question liquidity's improved since the fourth quarter of 18. It was intentional. It was the tightening of liquidity that, that triggered the market sell off, and we saw a response out of our Fed. We've seen a response out of the BOJ. We've seen a more significant response out of the PBOC, um, and and it's important. I you know I would kind of ignore the BOJ on the margin and the ECB on the margin, and really focus on the US Fed and the PBOC. They're they're probably the more important players. Liquidity in the early part of 2019 began to increase within the regulated banking system within the PBOC while at the same time we saw a slowdown in shadow financing. So that was kind of that false start we had in early 2019 where people were hopeful that we we're going to see some follow-through and it really didn't happen. Subsequent to that, we've seen another kind of slow pickup and what I'd call stabilization and a modest improvement in liquidity coming out of China. In the U.S., I would describe it as getting less bad. Um, I, in my own opinion, is you know we shouldn't be continuing to shrink the Fed's balance sheet while we're talking about cutting rates. The issue is not the price of money. It's, it's the liquidity and the availability and the willingness to lend it. So we should have stopped QE a long time ago. Uh, there's another element. So, you know, on autopilot, liquidity should continue to improve. However, we're going we're, we're gonna to come into a window here over the next 8 to 12 weeks that's going to be tricky. Because what's boosted dollar liquidity or shorter-term liquidity are really two things. We've seen private sector cash balances rise, and while that sounds good, it's actually a contrarian indicator. It means they're not spending, their business is slowing down, and they're starting to park cash. So that's boosted liquidity in the short term that can help risk assets, but really is indicative of a positive environment. At the same time, because we're running into the debt ceiling limitations, the Treasury has been running down their TGA account, which is just their general account. So rather than issuing new bonds and bringing dollars off market and tightening liquidity on the margin, they've actually been paying that cash out. They've been decreasing their cash balances, which, again, is providing liquidity Mm -hmm. into the marketplace. I suspect what we're going to see is we'll get the debt ceiling increase in August. We're going to see a significant increase in treasury and ins- issuance to replenish their cash balances. That will in fact tighten up dollar liquidity into the third and fourth quarter and unless there's offsets somewhere else or we're starting to see a big increase in risk appetites, I think we may be setting ourselves up for that little bit of correction I've talked about which is, you know, we're going to we may run into some uh, dollar liquidity tightening just because we're starting to replenish the Treasury's balance sheet.
0: Yeah, and, and so that scenario you're describing, right? That that sounds like something we just went through, right? We, you have <laughs> you know this this short term big boost of liquidity, right? This is not not too indifferent from the massive amount of liquidity that we see all injected uh, over the last really the last three plus years. Um, and all of that unwound in, in the fourth quarter of 2018 um, with a, a repricing of assets and, and, a, and a large de-risking. So, you know, if we go through, you know, this continued boost of liquidity in the short term, would you anticipate another, um, you know, Q4-like um, uh, 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 pullback? It, 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 it's
1: possible.
0: I don't think we'll see anything as
1: extreme as Q4 because I suspect, and this is, you know, th- th- this gets into kind of geopolitics, If we can get the Fed to start cutting rates, um, we may start to see a couple of things happen. We'd see a big boost out of the PBOC. I think they've been maintaining tight policy to support their currency while trade negotiations are going, going on. Ultimately, it's going to come down to, as we move into 2020, what's going to be the policy response if the slowdown we're seeing in China continues, if they really aren't able to stimulate and drive growth Uh, we're going to see a continued contraction out of the industrial side of the global economy. It will spread into the services sector. We're already seeing Japan in a recessionary window. We're seeing recessionary data out of pockets of Europe. We're starting to see it uh, develop out of pockets of Asia. If that really is just inventory destocking and restocking, we're fine. If it looks like it's going to be more than that, and we'll start getting data over the next 8 to 12 weeks that could indicate that it's more than that, then we could certainly set ourselves up for a more meaningful correction.
0: Great. Um, and so last one I have for you today, uh, you know, as we, as we wrap up liquidity or, you know, as, as that conversation continues, but we'll wrap it up for today, you know, what, what else are you watching in the short term, um, you know, aside from, from liquidity? From yeah. liquidity? Well,
1: and, and just focusing on liquidity, you know, as I talked about in the short term, you know, we can watch and see what the U.S. curve does over over, you know, in response to some of these rate cuts. In the medium term, and and this is what we really need to focus on, is the Fed losing control of the price of money? And post the financial crisis and the introduction of QE, the Fed went to a floor system and began paying interest on excess reserves. And under that scenario, banks have a choice. They can park money at the Fed and receive the rate That's paid under interest on excess reserves, or they can lend it out to other banks at the effective funds rate. And so there's an arbitrage available, and essentially what it would mean is the effective funds rate should not be higher than the interest on excess reserve. If it is, banks intuitively would pull money out of the excess reserves and lend to those banks and arbitrage away that price disparity. Something happened in the last 12, 14 months to where banks aren't willing to do that. And so we've seen the effective funds rate trade through the interest on excess reserves. And that could be indicative of a few things, right? It could be banks are just boosting liquidity uh, for increased liquidity ratios that are necessary from a regulatory standpoint. It could also mean that banks really don't want to lend to each other. Um, and we're seeing that with our money center banks in the U.S., where they really are starting to hoard treasuries. Why would they be hoarding treasuries? That's mu- that's, that is you know, collateral that's very much needed in the repo market. It's not getting there. That's tightening up liquidity. So there's, there could be something going on. We need to pay close attention to European banks. We need to pay close attention to that euro-dollar curve, and we really need to watch the relationship between the effective funds rates and interest on excess reserves and watch as the Fed is cutting rates and as they make changes to what they pay on excess reserves. Is that policy tool effective? And if it's not, you you're really going to call in you know the fed's credibility right you can you can control the price of money or the quantity but not both and we may be starting to see that they're already losing control of one of those great
0: well good well chris this is terrific as always Uh, thank you for coming on Um, great insight today across the market rates uh, where we go from here so we certainly appreciate it and we look forward to having you again soon you bet thank you dan the views information